The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Barnyard. I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. It's been a busy three days. It has been Mississippi State football practice in full session now. We're going to break down some observations early in camp. We've had two days of non-contact drills. And then on Sunday, the Bulldogs put on the pads, played a little football. However, due to lightning in the area... Practice was moved indoors to the Palmero Center, so we were not able to observe. However, I'm going to share with you some things I picked up the first couple days. We did have an opportunity to uh, speak to several coaches and players over the last three days. Yesterday, we got Eric Mealy, Jason Washington, Jeff Phelps, and Coach Tony Hughes. You can find those videos on the front of jeanspage.com. They are free videos. You can go check them out today. Just go to the front page and kind of scroll down. You'll see the latest videos. And we're going to have multiple videos basically every day of practice, whether it be player interviews, coaching interviews. And so all of that is free. Now, if you want to know more, you're going to have to have a subscription. But we do make a lot of that stuff for free, even some one-on-one stuff. Like I got Tony Hughes yesterday one-on-one. We made that free. So even if you're not a Jeans Page subscriber, and you should be, even if you're not, you can still get the benefit of our access because we go in, we, we do our best to be very thorough. Uh, and if you want like our observations or, you know, kind of some player features and things like that that are one-on-one, you're going to have to pay for that. But um, the reality of it is, is there's a lot of news out there. Now, I want to caution you about this too. We, we go to practice every day, every single day. There are sometimes maybe one of us has other things going on, but like yesterday, your Jeans Page crew, all five of us were there. Paul Jones, Robbie Falk, myself, Dave Murray, Mike Nemeth, we're all there. And a little bit later, Theo DeRosa showed up from the Columbus Dispatch. But um, we're going to be there, and we're going to give you firsthand accounts of what happens in practice every single day. We're going to post observations. We're going to post notes and things like that. So now is a great time to subscribe to jeanspage.com if you hadn't already. If you have subscribed, you understand that, uh, you know, the amount of content that we provide there over Jeans Page. And also, too, we're kind of, you know, waiting to see what happens with uh, the, the, the NCAA transfer portal on the baseball side. Now, people have said, well, Steve, when's the last day you can add a transfer? Well, the last day of, of drop ad for the fall semester. So still some time. We'd like to find another pitcher if we can. I know the staff is still working through that. And of course, uh, you've got people beginning to move to campus here in the next few days. There is some, uh, I guess, some drama, I guess you could say. Mike Nemeth noted yesterday that the athletic director from Virginia Commonwealth had made a statement on Friday that they were not going to provide waivers for some of their outgoing transfers. And, of course, Mississippi State has two committed. Now, here is what I understand about this. Okay, so you have the July 1st deadline. You have to be in the portal by July 1st in order to be eligible to play next year. Well, VCU had a coaching change after the deadline. And then reportedly, 
there was some discussions about players leaving and that they would have the ability to transfer somewhere else and that the university would allegedly support the transfer. Well, then they make the, the hire. Of course, Stifler leaves VCU, and I was very impressed with him when he came here. Really, really well-spoken guy. He leaves VCU for Notre Dame. Of course, that happens after the deadline. Well, then guys are like, well, hey, I want to transfer. I don't, I don't know the new staff. I want to get a new opportunity. And so basically what happens is you have what's called you know, kind of a runoff waiver. Like if a guy has not guaranteed a scholarship for the next year or if a scholarship is pulled, you can get what's called a runoff waiver. And they're unopposed. I mean, it's just one of those things that happens. Hey, this young man or this young lady no longer has a scholarship opportunity here. We're not going to impede their ability to play somewhere else. Well, VCU's athletic director came out and said, hey, these guys, we wanted them back, so we're not going to grant a runoff waiver. However, if the, if the transferring school, the incoming school, has a different standing for a waiver, then we'd be willing to support that. Now, here are my personal feelings about this. I believe, based on what I've heard, that there were probably some assurances made to players. And then the new coach gets hired, and he's like, wait a minute, no, 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 we're not doing this. Either you're playing here or you're not playing at all. So I expect it to work out. And, of course, we're talking about Tyler Davis and uh, Connor Hyzak. I fully expect this to work out. There are no guarantees, right? There's no guarantees in life, much less with uh, college baseball and NCAA. But I fully expect those guys to be eligible to play this year. Now, all that said – there are some hoops that got to be jumped in through. And so and it's not just Mississippi State. There are four schools involved. There's Virginia, there's LSU, there's Tulane, and, of course, Mississippi State. And everybody kind of dealing with some similar circumstance. So you may read those comments out there, and you may look, hey, wait a minute, what's happening here? So I wanted to kind of get ahead of it, too, and kind of share with you guys kind of what I've learned. As soon as I learned of this, I kind of got on the phone and kind of tried to find out, you know, what's the protocol here? And I think at the end of the day, what we're going to get down to is basically you're telling me the players have a deadline, but the coach doesn't. So, like, and it's not necessarily applicable to baseball. You know, let's say, hey, there's a deadline, and then you make a coaching change. Well, what if that player doesn't match your system? You know, what if they don't fit into what you want to do? And what if they know this? I mean, just look at the football side, right, or even the basketball side of things. You know, what if you go out and you get a pass-first quarterback and you elect to um, get to run the option? Or maybe you run a split-back beer. I don't know. Should that young man, or in some situations, young lady, should they be forced to spend a year of eligibility playing in or perhaps not playing in a system that doesn't fit their skill set? And so because of that and the fact that we've gotten so student-athlete rights conscious – I expect this to work out. I really do. And I also think that uh, these guys will be eligible to play. And I know right now it's like, you know, it's the last thing you wanted was to think, okay, there's going to be some drama. We put this great portal class together, and you're thinking, wait a minute now. We need these guys. And so just pump the brakes. You've got some very intelligent people that know the ins and outs of all of these transfer protocols. And let's be honest, too, the transfer process in and of itself is still very much a dynamic thing. There is still some development going through all this. And I think at the end of the day, the crux in this thing is, you know, it's like, hey, the player has to make a decision by July 1st. However, if there is a change within your program, 
then those players should have the ability to leave. We talk about that all the time, like even on the football side. It's like, hey, you know, if a guy, if there's a, if a coaching change, a guy should be able to leave. Same situation applies here. Now, in some respects, this could kind of be a precedent-setting case because I don't know that we've seen this on the baseball side, but the rules apply uniformly when it comes to transfers. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out there, too, that are advocating for basically a free-for-all transfer process, that it's not a one-time transfer exception, that, hey, you ought to be able to leave any time you want, you know, provided it's the end of the semester. If you can find somebody willing to put you on scholarship or take you on their roster. And so if we're discussing that, that possibility, and then this situation is kind of hanging out there, um, you know, it makes perfect sense. And, again, I, I expect this to work out. I've said that three times now. But I wanted to kind of let you guys know because all of a sudden if we get into the fall or we get into the, to February and you're like, wait a minute, what about these guys? I want you to be aware of that. I want you guys to be the most informed fans of the Mississippi State fan base. So anytime that I learn things, I want to share it with you whenever I can. And so, again, VCU trying to impede the transfer process for multiple players, not just those coming to Mississippi State. But, again, I, I don't know that they truly have a leg to stand on. I know they'll say, hey, the deadline is the deadline. But the circumstances changed at VCU. So we'll keep you updated as we learn things. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to kind of be transparent about this. But uh, I have a lot of confidence in the people handling this from Mississippi State. And I, I suspect that things are going to work out fine. And what you're, what you're probably going to see, I would just about guarantee this, you're going to see everybody kind of work together here. You're going to see Tulane, LSU, Virginia, Mississippi State kind of all work together in concert here with VCU to kind of get this facilitated. And I think that's an important aspect of this. You know, let's just, hey, let's all just work together and let's get this thing done and, and we're finished. And uh, there's so many of these waiver requests that um, you're submitted each year and you never know about them. You never know about them. All you know is this person transferred and everything's fine. You know, but there have been uh, some situations in the past where there has been maybe some drama behind the scenes, but it, ultimately it all gets worked out. Because if you're VCU, do you really want to be that, that program? And I understand maybe you got to go grandstand for your donorship a little bit. It's like, hey, no, we're going to put our foot down here. No, if you're going to leave us, and maybe they're kind of sending a message to the rest of the team. Maybe they're kind of letting those guys know, hey, if you're thinking about going, it's going to be trouble. And the next thing you know, you get into fall classes. It's like, okay, well, they're here, they're enrolled, everything is fine. Because then at that point, you can't transfer again until December. And why would you at that point? Because you wouldn't be eligible to play. So I suspect a lot of this is saber-rattling. And in the end, nobody will be inconvenienced. I mean, VCU, of course, will lose some good players. But uh, I don't know if you want to be that team that's out there saying, well, you know, these guys wanted to transfer because we made a coaching change, but we made them stay. You know, I just don't think you want that happening. And, again, it's all about perceptions, and everybody wants a scholarship opportunity. But uh, I wanted to get out there. Mike Nemeth, of course, uh, had the note yesterday in Nemo's notes. That's a premium feature at jeanspage.com. But I wanted to share it with you because what happens is these things get out there and sometimes people don't have access to decision makers and they share their opinions and that gets ex ex accepted as fact. So I want to be very transparent with you guys and kind of tell you what's going on behind the scenes. But, uh, again, a lot of confidence in everybody that's kind of handling this for Mississippi State. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will too if you don't already. I don't know how you couldn't. Bulldog Burger Company has been serving this community for a long time. The flagship right here on University Drive in Starkville, 
you know, that new patio area, go by and check it out if you hadn't been in a while. Go enjoy that. Two other great locations in the, in the state of Mississippi, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harper Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you better looking. That's now in writing. Have that chocolate shake to go. But you know what? That, that's kind of bookending around a wonderful meal. Have that great restaurant-quality hamburger. I like the Pimentology Add Bacon. That's probably the Boneyard Burger of choice. I do like the Bryant. Even like the Lauren a little bit. I like them all. And some days I go in there, I'm thinking, you know what? It feels like a freshman 15 day. And the other days, hey, it's a smokehouse day. That's the thing is they've got a lot of options for you. But if you just want a great straight-ahead rock and roll hamburger, like the American Classic, get the Bulldog. You'll be glad you did. I like to walk on the wild side a little bit, though. And maybe you do, too. Get out there and experience life some. Go to Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take some time to talk about a couple of observations on the offensive side of things. The first thing that I would point out, and you saw some of this in the spring, is that uh, Will Rogers is really maturing. And I hate to even really you know, say it in that respect. He's always been a very heady guy. But number one, Will looks bigger. Will looks a little bit stronger. But he looks a lot more authoritative, and I don't mean in a jerkish sort of way. You know, I think before, Will was just trying to get the playbook down and kind of carry out his own responsibilities, but I see him really kind of emerging as a real leader. He's always been a dog. You hear the guys talk about how they love him in the huddle, and he's such a competitor. But let me give you a good example of this. So Sawyer Robertson, who has been taking basically all the second-team reps, so we go through – you know, warm-ups, and then there's positional drills, and then we do Pascali, and everybody participates in Pascali. Everybody. You got six quarterbacks out there throwing the ball around. However, when we go to 11 v. 11, it's Will Rogers and Sawyer Robertson. So that should say a lot about Sawyer Robertson standing with the coaching staff. Sawyer did not have a great day on Saturday. He showed some flashes. But he didn't have a great day. He had a couple of you know, balls. The release was off a little bit. Sometimes he held the football a little bit too long. It sailed on him a couple of times. He just didn't have a good day. And that happens. I thought Friday he had a pretty good day. Saturday he didn't have a good day. And you could see in his body language at times that he was getting a little frustrated. And so he would make a bad read or bad throw. And then there's your quarterback, number two, Will Rogers. Hey, next play. Next play. Next play. Next play. All right, this is over with. Now, Will could just sit over there with Austin Williams and drink some Gatorade and just kind of wait for his number to be called again, but he's not. Will Rogers understands that, hey, there may come a time that we need Sawyer Robertson to go make a play for us. I mean, God forbid Will get hurt or something, but, you know, let's say Will gets his bell rung one day. But, but Will Rogers is not just invested in Mississippi State now. Will Rogers is invested in Mississippi State's future. And so any knowledge that he can impart to Sawyer Robertson is not only good for now, but good for the Bulldog future. And so I wanted to share that with you because Will, not out there being a jerk by any stretch of imagination, but he's helping Sawyer Robertson hold himself accountable. Flush that bad play, let's get to the next one. And it was one particular play that uh, I remember where Sawyer just made a bad throw, got the ball out late, the read was a little bit off, and then Will's like, hey, let's go, next play, next play, next play. And the very next pass, Sawyer does a touchdown. 
And so I think that amount of leadership is very, very valuable to Mississippi State. And again, not just for this year, but for the development of Sawyer Robertson. Because there may, there may come a time this year we're going to need Sawyer to lead a drive for us to go win a ball game. Who knows? You never know what the season is going to hold. And so, you know, based on kind of observations, you know, it's Will Rogers, Sawyer Robertson, and then kind of everybody else. You know, Lovertich has taken a few snaps here and there, but, um, you know, outside of that, you know, like if someone message board said, hey, what about Braden Locke? Hey, Braden is doing what every other freshman has done, with the exception of Will Rogers. You know, Will Rogers, of course, uh, kind of made himself the second-team quarterback his very first year here. You know, he came in as a true freshman and earned that spot as the number two quarterback and eventually became the starter. But Braden Locke and those guys are doing what everybody else has done. That's what Sawyer's done. That's what Daniel's done. All these new quarterbacks come in. They go through drills. And then they have some time, you know, later in the year where they play freshman football. And so they get a chance to get some real reps. But uh, it's Will Rogers and Sawyer Robertson, and I expect that to, to hold. Now, you'll bring a bunch of guys with you on the road. But the reality of it is Sawyer Robertson is the, the future, in my estimation. Now, of course, uh, later in the week, we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Parson. I think that uh, Chris Parson could potentially, uh, you know, challenge everybody on the roster once he gets here. You know, but it, it, again, it's Will's show, and I think that is apparent. The team responds to Will Rogers. Now, no surprise at running back, obviously, DJ and uh, Woody Marks doing a good job. And, and they, if you liked them last year, you're going to love them this year. And Jason Washington kind of touched on that yesterday. You, know, you wanted to get DJ running with a little more wiggle. You wanted to get Woody running with a little more power. You know, even even in, in, in shells out there, you can see the athleticism of these guys. They catch a football very, very effortlessly. But behind them, you've got Simeon Price, who's now back out there. You know, Price, of course, um, didn't get to do much at all last year due to an injury. There's Katravian Hargrove, you know, uh, bull as they call him. You know, these guys look good. You know, last year, basically, we had to keep our one and two guys in the game the majority of the time. You know, J.J. Jernigan played a little bit last year. Uh, but by and large, you know, you, you didn't have a lot of scholarship depth at running back. And so I suspect now what you're going to see is D.J. and Woody be a lot fresher in ball games later because I think Bull and Simeon – can go in there and play some snaps and give those guys. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, 
and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. That's a little bit of a spell. All right, offensive line-wise, and, and again, understand this, we do a daily depth chart. But especially this time of year, it's really for entertainment purposes only. We do the best we can. But, you know, this time of year, before we even get into game week, you know, Mason Miller is kind of mixing and matching a little bit. There's one day he may have dollar bill play left tackle. The next day he's playing left guard. And so enjoy it because we put a lot of time and effort into this. But understand it is going to change some over the course of fall camp. Now, if we were playing a ball game tomorrow – I believe Dollar Bill Johnson is your starting left tackle. But we're not playing tomorrow. Percy Lewis is kind of right there with him, and there's some times, too, that he'll have Percy Lewis at left tackle and then Dollar Bill at left guard. Now, most of the time it's Cam Jones at left guard, and, of course, LaQuince and Sharp at center. Uh, Cole Smith and Nick Jones are kind of in a position battle there for right guard. Both of them have done some interesting things, and it's interesting – there have been some times when Cole and Nick have both been on the field at the same time. Like when Cam Jones is getting the break, you know, we'll have maybe Dollar Bill at left tackle, Cole at left guard, and then uh, Nick at right. And you see Cole and you see Nick, and they're not these big, tall, imposing figures like you see with Albert Reese and, and uh, Percy Lewis and Dollar Bill, but they have really good length. They've got a really good wingspan. And they're tough, and they fight, and they compete. And then, of course – you got Albert Reese. Now, if you ever wanted to have one of these situations where, you know, like the old high school football game, you have those, the big guys get off the bus first, it'd be Percy Lewis one, Albert Reese second. Albert Reese, through two days of camp, and granted it's shells, right? But you can see the quickness. You can see the athleticism. You can see how well he uses that wingspan to kind of keep people out and away from him. The guy appears to have taken a big step. And, uh, you know, we expected that. You know, we got him. We were talking about, man, this guy could be really good for us. Uh, he has been. I believe right now that you, you get three tackles, Dollar Bill, Percy Lewis, and Albert Reese. And, it's, of course, some guys behind him that will get some reps 
But I believe if we went to go play a game, those are your three tackles. I mean, you'd like to have, you know, three tackles, you know, four guards and a couple centers. You know, you'd like to have, what, 10, 11 ready to play, maybe a couple more. But I believe Albert Reese is going to run this right tackle spot wire to wire. Provided he stays healthy, I think he's a dude. And maybe he's your future left tackle. But this is a guy, when you begin to envision you know, the air raid offensive lineman, what you'd expect him to look like, it's Albert Reese. The guy's really, really athletic and really, really strong. And I'm eager for you guys to see him, you know, play when the bullets are flying, right? I mean, there were times last year where just like we had so many disappointments at time, especially with, you know, edge rushers. I just think Albert's a guy that's going to be able to get in there and fight a little bit more. And, of course, you got Cam Jones, who's kind of your uh, Swiss Army knife guy. Cam could probably play off tackle if he had to. And we, if you remember, too, you know, we flipped Cam Jones from UL Lafayette on signing day under Jim Moorhead. And a lot of people were like, well, you know, this, this kid may never play. And I don't know if he's not your most versatile offensive lineman. This is a kid right here from Starkville High School that wanted to play at Mississippi State. His mom wanted him to honor the commitment to Louisiana Lafayette, even though it would have been more of a sacrifice for her. But uh, Cam's like, no, this is what I want to do. So, of course, mom went along with his wishes. And what a great thing that was for Mississippi State. We didn't realize it at the time. Cam Jones is mean, man. You talk about a guy that's got some grit, a guy that'll get out there and fight, it's Cam Jones. People forget, man, he played some right tackle in 2020 when Greg Allen suffered. Cam Jones goes to Mason Miller and says, Coach, can I go? And he gets out there, and the technique was awful. He was very raw, but he would get out there and compete. Those are things that aren't always measured in stars. A lot of people look at measurements and, and times and, and all that kind of stuff. It's difficult sometimes to quantify want to. And Cam James, Jones excuse me, wants to. So I like the look of the line. I think things are beginning to settle. And I think we'll get a couple weeks in the fall camp, and I think we'll probably have a good idea how things go at left tackle. But you know, it could be a situation where we play them both for a while till we kind of figure it out in the non-conference. But uh, – You've got some big-bodied guys that are athletic, and I think this is the best group of offensive linemen that Leach has had here at Mississippi State. I, don't, I really don't think there's any question. You know, of course, there's Stephen Lasoya, who's also, you know, also in the mix there a little bit too, transfer from Middle Tennessee State. All right, uh, let's see here. Let's get to wide receivers. I had a longtime observer of Mississippi State practice tell me this may be the best group of receivers that he's seen in 10 years from Mississippi State. It's difficult to argue against that. you like Makai Polk leaves, and you're thinking, okay, well, who's going to pick up the slack? I think you do it by committee. But I tell you this, we look good in the uniform, and we look good in drills. Caleb Ducking is kind of picked up where he left off in the spring. And the thing about Caleb that I love is I don't think Caleb, like, buys into this whole, well, Mississippi State is supposed to be pretty good. We're never supposed to be great. I don't think he gets it. I don't, I don't think he sees life that way. And watching Steve Spurrier work with him, you can kind of see the wheels turn a little bit. It's like Caleb kind of understands this is his opportunity. Antonio Harmon looks great. And Antonio is a guy, too, a big physical type guy. When he walls up out there in the pass pattern, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to fight through that guy. We've got some big physical guys. Now, Jordan Mosley, a transfer from Northwestern, not as long as some of these guys, but he's put together pretty well. Good in and out of his breaks. You can see why he was a power five. People forget he was committed to Tennessee and then he had the coaching change up there 
And uh, he kind of was scrambling to find something else and pick Northwestern. And the transfer portal proved to be a good thing for him. He gets back closer to home and a chance to play in the SEC. I like the look of him so far. Want to see a little bit more. But just watching him out there running around, you can kind of tell the guy's really athletic. Tulu Griffin, you know what you got in Tulu. You do. And, I, again, I'm, I'm a feed Tulu guy. Get him to football. Whether it be the slip screen, the bubble, the jet sweep, whatever. Wildcat, whatever. He is you one of the most explosive players. Really like him an awful lot. Ra-Ra Thomas, I thought, was the best receiver on campus on Saturday. Leach made some comments after Friday's practice that Ra-Ra was pretty average on Friday. I thought Saturday he really responded. Made a couple of really, really impressive catches. A couple times you know, he comes out of his break and the ball is thrown near his feet. He slides down, makes a grab. Everybody responded, even the defense. And then when we got down in the red zone, it seemed like Ra-Ra was always the guy finding a way to get open. I think you're going to see Ra-Ra take the next step this year. And of course, you know, he was making some big plays last year before he got hurt. And speaking of being hurt, Scooby Ford uh, participated Friday, did not participate Saturday. He was in the pit. I don't know what he did on Sunday. We'll, we'll try to get you an update today. We'll, we'll you know, kind of update that on jeanspage.com over on the True Maroon board. But probably the guy that has really jumped out to me is Justin Robinson, the transfer from Georgia. Watching him run around and watching him catch a football and to see how natural and easy it all is for him, I can see why Georgia signed that guy. Right? I mean, there's some guys you look at and you say, okay, well, this guy's a little scratch and dent. Justin Robinson is a good-looking football player. And Tyson Brown has kind of trimmed him up a little bit. You know, he was big in the spring. And you think, man, this is guy's a big jumbo X. Now he just looks like an X. Very, very good in and out of his breaks. This is a guy like he catches the football and just kind of naturally puts it away and turns into a runner. I worried a lot about how do we replace Makai Polk's production. I'm not as worried about that anymore. Because I honestly think we have better options from sideline to sideline than we did last year. If that makes sense to you. Yeah, we, we had some good guys last year, but I think we have more good guys this year. And I think adding Mosley and Robinson are a big part of that. And then you see, you know, Ra Ra and those guys begin to develop. And, and Harmon, of course, redshirted last year. But I like to look at this X group. I, I do. I, I'm ready to see these guys play a game. And then, of course, you get on the interior there and you've got, you know, Jaden Wiley, Jameer Calvin, Austin Williams. What else needs to be said about those guys? Rufus is a guy, too, that's really done a good thing. You know, Rufus is another guy. And uh, when I interviewed Jalen Green on Friday, I asked him, or Saturday specifically, who's the guy that you kind of enjoy matching up with the most there at Bulldog Safety? And he said Rufus Harvey. He said he's small, he's quick, and he's unbelievable at the top of his routes. He said the kid's amazing. And that was a guy, too, a Starville High School guy that, you know, Steve Spurrier really liked, so we got him. Joe Moorhead and those guys weren't going to take him. I wondered at times about his size. I remember watching him that first practice at Mississippi Alabama All-Star game, and nobody could keep him in front of him. He, they just simply could not defend him. So an elite route runner, a guy that's really, really quick. And so I think, again, you're going to see Rufus take a step forward this year. And, of course, you know what you got in Jaden Wally. You know, you know Drops at times have been a problem with him. I, ha I don't think I've seen him drop a pass so far in camp. Now, of course, that can change. I'm, I mean, we're just a couple games in, a couple practices in, three officially. But Jaden looks to be, of course, he cut his hair. Not a big fan of that. Um, 
Brady looks good. And I think this could be this could be a money year for Jaden. Jameer Calvin, again, not the smallest, not the biggest guy. But what I love about Jameer Calvin is like when he runs back to the huddle, like Drew Howling said, he'll tell him something. He's like, okay, I got you. And he goes out there and does it. And a lot of guys out there, it's just kind of lip service, but it's like Jameer Calvin understands what's expected of him. And so when you start rallying off these names, you know, in years past, you know, it'd be like, well, got three or four good guys. We don't have any depth. I mean, that's just not the case right now. We've got a ton of depth. We've got a ton of guys that do a lot of different things. Of course, you've got some newcomers out there. Xavier Thomas, probably the most impressive newcomer right now, three days in. But I've heard a lot about Marquez Dorch, and they're calling him Mojo. So that we everybody's got a nickname, it seems. Mojo is Marquez Dorch, who may be the fastest player on the team. I understand that he had an incredible summer. Difficult guy to get out there and guard. You know, he wanted to play wide receiver. There was a lot of discussion about all Miss making him a defensive back. And I think at this point, you know, based on early returns, I think him playing wide receiver is probably the way to go. Uh Caden Pope, also a young guy we expect big things from. Janoris Hobson's done a couple nice things, too. We're at number 84. You know, Rai Ross changed his number. A lot of, there's a lot of new number changes. So, kind of, you're probably going to need a program this year to kind of keep up with all that. But uh, I like the look of this group. If we're getting ready to go play a game, I, I don't know if there's anybody out there that could, really, uh, that could really stop us. I mean, that's when I look at all this stuff and I begin to think about, okay, what's – you know, where's your weakness on offense? Well, you, you guys know left tackle. I wouldn't know if I'd call it a weakness. But, um, you know, that's something that's got to get settled. Outside of that, I feel really good about the offense, especially our offensive skill. And that was to be expected. Got You know, basically, and just talking to a couple staffers, you know, basically the three burning questions from Mississippi State, okay, can you get the offensive line to be cohesive? That's big, right? Um. You know, can you get something out of these safeties? I guess maybe that's not correct. I mean, we'll talk about them a little bit later. But the depth at linebacker is something we've talked about, and keep Will Rogers healthy. You can keep those three things together. If the offensive line can come together, and that's a big if always, right? But you've got a lot of veteran guys. It's not like you're, it's not like you're having to depend on a bunch of newcomers. you got guys that have been in your program two to three years. So, and Mason Miller's done a good job last year. We took a nice step forward. There were some games, too, that we struggled at times at the right tackle spot. But the reality of it is – you know, that group, by and large, done really well. So I've got a lot of confidence that that will get settled too. I think it helps having guys like Cole Smith and Cam Jones and LaQuinson Sharp that have, that have been around, right? They've been around. They know how people are going to attack us. And so that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with keeping Will Riders healthy. And so we're going to talk about linebackers a little bit later in the show. But uh, that's the offensive observations three days in the camp. Uh, let's get into today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Let me give you Blair's personal cell number right now. Not a receptionist number, not an 800 number, not a personal assistant number. His personal cell, 1-601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. You can call or text him today. Maybe you've been looking to refinance your home. Maybe you've been looking to uh, possibly get some cash out. Maybe looking to buy a home for the first time. And maybe you're a non-conforming borrower. Maybe you're a person that's got an atypical property. Maybe it's just not quite as simple for you as it is other people. Well, Blair's got 21 years of experience in the industry. He has seen it all and done it all. And I can promise you he's probably gotten more hard cases than you to the signing day table. Reach out to him. 
he enjoys uh, doing business with Bulldogs when he can. You know, he doesn't discriminate, but, uh, you know, Blair's a Bulldog. Season ticket holder in multiple sports, has a place up here in town, is in town regularly. And if you mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard, no matter your recruiting interest or your rooting interest, I guess that's sometimes one and the same in this state, um, he'll pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. So, again, check in with CloseWithBlair.com today. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And get your mortgage needs taken care of today. Guys, top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable lender. They know how to get things done, so does he. He, he, he is their guy. He is their closer. Be sure and check in with Blair Chandler today. All right, top 10 songs today. A lot of uh, social media traffic about our top rock songs of 40 years ago. We're going to do something similar today, but a little bit different. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you why. So I've always been a rocker, always, always, always. However, those of you that knew me in the early 90s know that I was a part of a dance band, an outfit, and uh, I also used to DJ parties. Used to have a couple of D9 pitchable CD players, and uh, if you attended a swap at Southern Miss, maybe 92 to 93, good chance that I DJed that swap. Good chance. And uh, had some friends that uh, were Kyle Omegas, and so I got picked a lot to go do those because I was affordable, and I had a big uh, selection of music. And so we got things done. Did a bunch of stuff for uh, the SAEs at the time. Had a great time. Cap Sigs, everybody. Did all those swaps down there. And so this is like on the tail end. This is after I kind of got clean and sober, so still around uh, the music industry some. But I enjoyed getting out and DJing these parties, and so I wanted to give you my list of 30-year-old jams from 1992 now these are not going to be rock songs i'm talking about things that i played at parties things that i heard on the radio uh, things i heard in the club now there are a few honorable mentions today that didn't make our list but i i would be remiss if i did not mention them as uh, possibilities now some of the the bands that we're going to talk about today are the artists they got multiple songs on this list and of course this is when boys to man was really rolling end of the road was the number one billboard single that year They'd make our list because we're doing up-tempo stuff today. And a little bit deeper, and maybe maybe you guys don't know this. If you heard the song, you would remember it. But KLF, you remember KLF? Justified and Ancient had Tammy Wynette on it, the KLF. They were great. Loved them a lot. And then uh, C.C. Pennington's Finally. That was a great track, too, that didn't make our list. So what did make our list? Well, let's talk about that. Number 10... And uh, a one-hit wonder in many respects. I really liked this song at the time, and it is very, very typical for what was happening at the time. You know, it is very 1992-ish when it comes to production value and things like that. It's Joe Public's "Live and Learn," and many of you probably have not thought about that song in many years. You got to live and learn. I loved it. I thought it was a very positive song. Number ten. Now, number nine, and this you may disagree. You may say, Steve, this deserves to be higher, and it was a worldwide hit. However, I did not really like the shift that was going on with Hammer. It used to be MC Hammer, and then it was Hammer, and then we became the Funky Headhunter and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that he was a global phenomenon. He was. A measurable talent. But we're going with Too Legit to Quit, which was everywhere and almost to the point that it was overplayed a little bit 
And I think sometimes, too, a lot of people just kind of bought onto this because, well, you know, please hammer don't hurt them was so great. So it's got to be good, too. Too legit to quit. It was good. The video may have been better. But I always liked that orchestra hit. Incredible. All right, number eight. And this band was not a one-hit wonder, even though they're kind of viewed as such in hindsight. I remember where I was when I bought this cassette. I was in the Walmart in Natchez, Mississippi, of all places. And this song had just dropped. I'd heard it on the radio a few times. Heard it in the clubs a few times. Oh, i got to get this. I didn't know who sang it. Just so happened there was a patron there that knew. It's Arrested Developments, Tennessee. I love the percussion on this. A lot of people liked uh, other songs. The whole album is great. It's very diverse, very eclectic in many respects. But Tennessee is a phenomenal song. Absolutely phenomenal. Number eight on your list. Number seven, and this was kind of on the tail end of their little 15 minutes of fame, is Color Me Bad's All for Love. You know, of course, they had the huge hit with I Want to Sex You Up, which I think everybody at some point, that was their favorite song for a little while. But All for Love is a little more up-tempo. It's a little more danceable in many respects. So that makes your list at number seven. And number six, this band was incredible. Tragedy rocked this trio and uh, really changed some things. But um, probably could have picked a handful of songs. I think they had three Billboard Top 100 singles that year. But I'm going to go with the one that started it all for TLC. It's It Ain't super ain't Too Proud to Beg. And I think Lisa left out Lopez. I think it's one of her shiny moments. Uh, and just for those of you that are wondering, I'm Team Chili. I thought she was she was my favorite, without, without question. Made me not like Usher as much. Uh, okay, number five, a band that many of you maybe learned about a couple of years prior to this album dropping because the power was another global smash. And it, it still holds up. You can turn it on the car today and turn the bass up, and it'll absolutely rock you. It's great. But number five is Rhythm as a Dancer, which was a little more techno in many respects, a little more sense behind it. I loved it. As a matter of fact, I remember seeing a shirt, and I could never find it anywhere. I don't know if it was made anywhere, and it was like this earnest prayer, and it said, uh, God, when it comes to rhythm and the blues, please give me the rhythm and not the blues because rhythm is a dancer. I thought, you know what? It's pretty clever. Wish I'd thought of that. All right, number four. Now, there's a little bit of confusion in many respects and um, because a couple of these uh, top four songs kind of got dropped at the same time. And there were some people out there that were casual fans in the clubs that didn't know who was who. But number four, a song that still gets played at, uh, at the hump. It's Jump Around from House of Pain. I love this song. It still holds up. I mean, how would, it, how would you feel to have written a song like that basically as your debut single? I think the name of that album was Shamrocks and Shenanigans. I think that's right. But, um, you know, they're still playing it. You know, it's become anthemic at sporting events. Jump around. What is it, Wisconsin that does that? You know, it's like their 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 signature song at Camp Randall. So House of Pain's Jump Around. And uh, I also liked, uh, you know, the solo joint, uh, Whitey Ford Sings the Blues, you know, the song uh, What It's Like. I dig it, man. All right, number three, kind of a comeback for this artist. You know, uh, Bobby Brown had a huge, huge hit with the album Don't Be Cruel. Not a bad song on that album. And I think for many people in my generation, it was one of the first, like, really R&B albums that people, you know, people didn't just buy singles because there were so many great songs on Don't Be Cruel. Well, 
Bobby Brown comes back, and a lot of, you know, he had a lot of controversy associated with him, and he dropped this incredible percussive dance song called Humping Around. That's your number three song. Because ain't nobody humping around. They were, but that's not what he said. And that's another song, too, you can put in the car right now. It's been remastered, and you can crank it up, and it feels like it's brand new. All right, number two, we talked about some confusion. It's Chris Cross's Jump. Now, you remember this, too. Like there, So around this time, there was uh, Michael Bivens, you know, the uh, East Coast family. They had another bad creation with the, the, the great song, Aisha. They were great. They had to play ground. It was, you know, even though uh, you know, Dallas and those guys are working on that song, it, it seemed more than a novelty song. Aisha was great. It was. Playground was a little, you know, okay. Well, to counter that, of course, you had Criss Cross that had a little more of an edge to them, but they were still kids. And, of course, their little thing was uh, they wore their clothes totally crossed out. So they wore them backwards, and that became a thing. I didn't do that. I thought it was silly. But other people did. And I don't know why it caught on, but it did. But the song Jump is great. And, again, that's still played at basketball arenas around the country. Uh, Criss Cross, of course, um, you know, kind of a flash in the pan in many respects, but um, – for a while there, they were absolutely everywhere. And, and I would venture to say, even though maybe I liked Another Bad Creation a little bit better than Criss Cross, Criss Cross was more of a national deal. All right, number one, in all the years that I DJed, I used to DJ radio, DJ parties, all kind of stuff like that. And there will never, and like if I went back and DJed today, even now, no matter how many times you requested a different song, nothing will ever match the hype, the excitement, and the glee when the opening seconds of this song played. It, this song got to be such a big deal that we, we mixed it. Me and my DJ partner, we made a 19-minute mix of this song, and people never got tired of it. Never. And what was so, so funny, too, some people were like, hey, well, when you guys mix that... Um, it's hard to dance to it. I'm like, well, sweetheart, are you dancing to the bass or are you dancing to the words? Because the bass line is consistent throughout, right? We're talking the classic Sir Mix-A-Lot, Baby Got Back. Without a doubt, number one, it's hard to believe that song is 30 years old. But at the same time, too, you look back and say, yeah, I guess it is. But it stands a test of time. And again, I think I commend Sir Mix-A-Lot for coming out and speaking for many of us. They're like, you know what, hey, I like girls got curves to them. I just do. You know, I like them all, but if we're picking, one of girls got, you know, got some curves. And so I think this became our anthem. It was kind of like for, you know, we had all been like crying out quietly within our souls like, "Hey, this is who we are and what we like." And Sir Mix-a-Lot's like, "You know what, guys? I got you. I got you." And a lot changed. A lot changed because they're also like, "Hey, that's my jam." I guess speaking for me. And so fashion changed. I mean, it was like, it's, credi- it's incredible. I think it also gave people some confidence, too. You know, it's like like the whole part when he says, you know, uh, but talks about Cosmo and, you know, girls looking like bean poles and things like that. And listen, I think all women are beautiful, just some more than others. But I think it kind of changed perceptions. It's like, it's, it's okay not to be, you know, bone real skinny. You don't have to go be that person to be attractive. And so, again, while some people think the song is somewhat exploitive, I think it's kind of a celebration. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. But that's number one. Baby got back. Absolutely incredible. And I, and I remember, 
I remember uh, my buddy Kevin Cooper, a guy I went to high school with. He graduated a year in front of me, and I was at some swap, and uh, he came up to me and said, hey, will you play this, will you play that? And it's like every time that I would play it, like maybe like two songs later, and then drunker people got, the more they requested it. And that's what kind of prompted us to put this mix together with like 19 minutes. Because once the party really got going, we could put that on, and then like we could eat, right? We could like have a hamburger or something while everybody else is dancing. And then that satisfied everybody for a while, but inevitably, before the night was over, somebody was coming back requesting that song. And at some point, I played all these songs, every single one of them. I could still do it. I could. And it, like the thing today, like I think about these DJs today, like everything is so computerized and sequenced and kind of put together. You know, we actually played request, and so we'd have to find a way to mix that in. And so those D9 pitchable CD players kind of made that easy, and you'd have some fill stuff and you kind of transition stuff. But these guys today, they're doing some remarkable stuff, but they've got a lot better technology than we did. So get off of my lawn, Paulie D. All right, time to get into some defensive observations. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You know Campus Bookmart. And if you don't, you should. Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution, the new bully shop, completely renovated. Everything is upstairs now. Be sure and go by and check that out today when you're in town. Your one-stop shop for Mississippi State merchandise is Campus Bookmark. You'll be excited about that. You'll be glad you went. If you'd like to support a local business, which I encourage you to do, if you're a Bulldog and you live out of state and maybe can't get to town very often, rather than go buy from Amazon or somewhere like that, let me encourage you to shop local. Go to campusbookmart.net and find the latest in Mississippi State merch. And by being a loyal Bond Yard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Now, you may recall that many of your regular first-team defensive linemen did not fully participate in spring practice. Now, it appears now at this point everybody's full go. On, uh, on Saturday, we only had two guys in the pit, and that was Scooby Ford and Cannon Boone, who's uh, rehabbing uh, from off-season ACL surgery. But defensively, everybody appears to be healthy. Now, uh, Deshaun Page, linebacker, did miss some time due to a family funeral. We wish that family the absolute best. It's always a difficult thing to deal with. But the front has looked really good. And I don't just say that because the first-team guys are back. I think many of your second-team guys are also taking a step forward. I think that's a big part of it, too. We have depth along the defensive line. Now, the first name that always kind of jumps to mind for me is Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis, of course, got injured last year in fall camp. He missed the entire year, and our pass rush suffered as a result. I believe he is the best pass rusher on the roster. That's a guy that can win a a one-on-one matchup for you and then kind of, you know, create some urgency in opposing quarterbacks. Having him back is huge. Watching him run around out there is very exciting. This is a very athletic guy, a guy that was highly recruited out of high school. He was an All-American. Ended up uh, transferring, going to junior college, and Mississippi State gets him a huge get, even though we haven't really benefited from having him yet. You know, we had that 2020 year where he showed some real flashes. This is a big year for him. He seems especially motivated. Now, he and DeMonte Russell, both out there kind of competing for that starting spot. Now, I'm going to specifically watch a lot of defense today. Like, I've watched a lot of passing scale and that kind of stuff. I'm going to go watch defense today to just spend more time watching them in individual drills. Watch them a lot in team drills, but 
this thing with DeMonte and Jordan is very close, and that is a good thing. Because I don't think it's a, a scenario now where Mississippi State has to play basically three or four guys and the same three or four guys and just kind of hope for the best. I think DeMonte Russell and Jordan Davis, there is a really, 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 really tight battle going on there, and both of those guys are going to be able to help us this year. Jeff Fouts spoke yesterday, yesterday about Deontay Anderson. You know, he was a, a U.S. Army All-American out of high school. They didn't play the game, but he was a part of that, announced his decision as part of the broadcast of the All-American event to Mississippi State. That hadn't happened before. It's the first time it's ever happened for us that we a guy announces at a national All-Star game for Mississippi State. Deontay has kind of picked it up a little bit. Last year, you know, he was a little bit thin, a little bit light in the britches. He has gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. He is a guy that will play in the rotation. I don't expect him to make the two deep, and he's not currently running the two deep. He's not going to catch Deontay or Jordan this year. Jordan, of course, is a senior. We expect him to move on, and I think Deontay moves up next year. But he will play some this year, and I think that he is a guy that, that could probably help you on third and long, a guy you can slot out there as a seven technique and go chase a quarterback. Now, this nose guard situation is awfully interesting. Now, we all know Cam Young is the dude, and Zach Arnett said on Friday that uh, – or Saturday, excuse me – that Cam Young may be the most physically imposing player on the roster. I remember Coach Hube telling me shortly after we got Cam Young to campus, he said, Steve, Cam Young is going to be the next great Mississippi State defensive line story, a guy that was kind of lightly recruited at a Franklin County High School. State basically beat a couple of junior colleges for him. It's pretty crazy. He was committed, I think, to Gulf Coast Community College, and he's such a young man of character. He hated to back out on that, even though he had a chance to play in the SEC. Uh, Cam Young, not going to fill up the stat box, right? When you look at the box score, you're not going to look back and say, man, Cam Young just dominated the game. Cam Young is a guy that's going to occupy blockers and free up other people to make plays. He's going to open the floodgates for your linebackers to fit gaps and make plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. Kind of like Caleb Ewell's in many respects. And I would submit Cam may be a little a, little, a tad more athletic than Caleb. And, and Caleb you know, was a guy, too, that would take on double teams and kind of make things happen on that 14 defense. I see Cam Young kind of filling that same role. Right behind him, of course, is Nathan Pickering. Now, you remember Pick opted out in 2020, had some medical issues. The family had some issues as well. Um, and then last year showed some real flashes. In, in fall camp last year, Pick was a little bit behind. There were some days he, did, he wasn't 100%, so he didn't practice fully. And I think it took him a little while to kind of get into football shape. But you're doing pretty good there when you begin to think about you know, Cameron Young uh, leading a guy that uh, basically was an All-American and highly recruited out of high school. I don't think that's you know, an indictment on any respect about Nathan Pickering's ability. I, I just think maybe, maybe Pick hadn't put it all together yet. But based on the early days of fall camp so far, I think we're seeing the best version of Nathan Pickering so far. So, again, you feel really good about that too deep, you know, two spots in. Uh, right behind him is Jevin Banks. Remember Jevin Banks is a guy – I loved him out of high school. And uh, we knew that he would bulk up and slide inside. You know, he played H-back and played some at defensive end. We knew when he got to, high, when he got to college, due to his frame, that he would be a three-tech. And that, that's what he's going to be. Uh, like him, he's explosive. Just got to find some reps for him. I think he's probably attended to 12-like snap guy game. And then behind him is Calvin Dinkins. And I'll tell you this, talking to our staff, they love this young man. Not just his ability, not just his strength, but his character. 
they think that he is a guy that is going to be a very valuable piece on this defensive front in the years to come. The other side on the defensive end, you know, big baby Jaden Crumbody has that spot handled. And then there's Randy Charlton. You know, Randy last year kind of had to play out of position because J.D. got hurt. And so Charlton is kind of back where he should be with his hand in the ground, basically playing a five-tech. Like what we've seen from him, we had a chance to talk to him. And, again, you start running through this too deep, and you begin to realize you know, that there are some guys – every one of these guys has starting experience within the Southeastern Conference. Carmody, of course, got hurt last year, uh, wasn't part of the bowl game or practices. But you feel really confident. And then behind him, of course, is Jack Harris and Trevion Williams. Jack is a guy last year that was a second-team defensive end, uh, played uh, behind Charlton a lot of respects on the opposite side. Uh, but Trevion Williams, a lot of people are like, hey, Steve, why haven't we seen more of him? Well, you're just not getting a lot of reps for the freshman at this point. It's not to say that he's not going to help us. I think he's going to play some this year. But how much of that do you want to spend of year of eligibility on him if he's not an impactful type guy? And, again, he's playing behind some guys that can really play. But, I, again, this front is going to be really salty. Should be. A lot of experience, a lot of tackles within this group. And, again, you're not having to rely on younger guys, I think, to kind of hold things up front. And, again, I like what Jeff Phelps has done with the group. Physically, they look very, very good. They're very athletic. You get to the linebackers. Now, this is a group, too, we've talked about. We need to build some depth here, and we do. But you feel awfully good about most of it. So, Aaron Brulé, of course, is gone, and we wish him the absolute best at Michigan State. Uh, Ty Wheat was a guy last year, and I don't think people fully appreciate Without NIL, Ty Wheat's probably not here. He's going to be your sandbacker. At times, he was unblockable last year. And I think, again, as I mentioned on the show last week, I think he benefits from having Jordan Davis back on the other side. I think J.D. will prevent Ty from getting some double teams. You're not going to be able to double them both. You're just not. But I think Ty Wheat looks great. Uh, Very spirited guy out there. Talks a little bit, but also backs it up. Uh, Sherman Timms and Ty Cooper kind of behind him. I think Sherman Timms right now, if I had to make a call, is probably your number two guy. Then there's John Lewis. And John Lewis has had some big moments now. John Lewis is a young guy, too, that's a a redshirt freshman. But uh, this is a young guy, too, that uh, was highly recruited late out of Germantown. A lot of people wondered if he was going to qualify, and all of a sudden he exploded late once people realized he was going to qualify. Mississippi State wins that battle. And, again, when you start looking at the SAM stuff and you look at the, the level of athletes available to you here, I think you feel like that's a strength. Bookie Watson returns at Mike. And this is one of those spots, too, where I really worry about depth a little bit. Now, you could rotate some guys around. You could plug Jet Johnson here if you needed to because Jet can play all three linebacker spots if needed. But Bookie's a guy, and I think he has bulked up a little bit, too. When you see him running around out there and you see 14, you're going like, that's not the same guy that was there a year ago. This is a guy that can kind of handle the rigors of playing in the middle, but he's also athletic enough to get outside the tackles and make plays. Nick Mitchell kind of running in there, too. Nick also looks to be a little bit bigger, a little bit bulkier. Uh, just not, not – has haven't seen him really flash yet. And, uh, again, I'll watch a lot more of defense today and pay special attention to him. I feel good about Buki. We just need Buki to stay healthy. I just think you know, Nick is not quite ready to handle the responsibility of being a Mike linebacker. Not to say that he won't be a good player for us, but I think that we're just really beginning to see him develop. Uh, Jed Johnson, an absolute box score filling machine last year. Joke with him 
about the pick in the Egg Bowl. This year, if that happens, we got to get a pick six out of that. Uh, and so then there's, you know, Deshaun Page right behind him. Jed is the starter. Deshaun Page, according to Matt Brock, the most improved linebacker of the spring. So eager to see him get out there and kind of move around again. And then J.P. Purvis. J.P., of course, was basically signed on athleticism. We thought he may be a safety. He's bulked up and become a linebacker. He looks like a linebacker now. People forget how traumatic that accident was that he and DeMonte Russell were involved in. J.P. got the worst end of that deal. It was a very, 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 very harrowing situation for a while. J.P. played a little bit last year. I think now he's beginning to kind of trust his body again. I think he understands, hey, I can get out of here and play, and I'm going to be okay. I can get out of here and play at full speed and not have to worry about a recurrence of an injury. I think that's kind of how it's looking now. And, again, he had a good spring. The young guys back there, you know, look really athletic. They're not quite ready, of course. You wouldn't expect them to be. That's Khalid Moore, Javegio Moore, Avery Sledge. Long, lean, physical linebackers. And so here's your two deep there. You know, of course, your starters, no surprise there. It's the, the guys that returned from a year ago, and they're all seniors. Tawit, Buki Watson, Jed Johnson. And then behind them, you got Sherman Timms, uh, Deshaun Page, and then Nick Mitchell. And so we'll kind of see how things go. And uh, JP working weeks at back or two. And all these guys are going to contribute some respects, whether it be special teams or just kind of later in ball games. But uh, I like the look of this group. Just need to develop some depth. So I feel maybe a little bit better knowing that Deshaun Page has kind of come on. And then, of course, Sherman Timms is a guy that's just kind of old reliable out there. He's going to get out there and play hard for you. But um, would feel a whole lot better if we had somebody kind of step up and kind of be that full-time uh, second team backer at Mike. That, that's that's my concern at this point. So now the safety positions. Now this is a personnel group. This entire secondary. We spent a lot of time on the recruiting trail, kind of putting this thing together. Put a lot of effort into putting more depth and more talent into the defensive backfield. Now that that's been an issue both years. Leach has been here. I think that's one of the reasons you got Zach Arnett coaching safeties now. All right, so uh, Jalen Green, obviously a guy that's going to play a little bit. Uh, Dylan Lawrence, again, Dylan was great in camp last year. Got banged up in 2020. He had a big game against LSU. And uh, he's he's made some nice plays, made a pick here and there. Uh, Jordan Morant looks the part. That's the transfer from Michigan. A big number 17, big physical guy. Uh, eager to see how he develops. And, and again, he's still learning the scheme. Uh, Colin Duncan appears to be running first team ahead of Corey Ellington. You know, we'll see how things go. Corey Ellington wears number 10 now, looks like a completely player than he did a year ago. You know, he played some as a freshman, kind of emerged late in the year last year, and Zach Arnett's like, hey, the guy's coming on. He's looked good out there. Uh, Jackie Matthews, Sean Preston, Trent Singleton, Trent's the new guy. Uh, I don't know, you know, if we technically have all these labels correct position-wise. Jackie Matthews is a Bulldog safety. Uh, Sean Preston is a guy that has played basically strong safety and free safety. Uh, Sean has done some nice things, too. And a great run stopper he is. You know, coverage has kind of been a moving target at times. But I feel like we've got a solid two deep here. I feel like we do. I'm eager to see Jackie Matthews in live action. That guy's really, really fast. All right, the cornerbacks, you kind of know how this is going to work on uh, 
It's Emmanuel Forbes and then kind of everybody else. Decam holding his own out there, and a lot of people believe that he is going to be the guy to play opposite Emmanuel Forbes. Darcel McBath called him the most improved corner of the spring. Marcus Banks has had a really good camp. I understand he's had a great summer. So that's a battle right there. But either way, Banks is going to play an awful lot. Asias Furge, a veteran guy still out there kind of figuring it out. And DeCarlos Nicholson is a guy that, uh, you know, you know, again, he, he's only played corner one year. So he's kind of learning the nuances of the position. I don't know if we should expect too much this year, but from an athleticism point of view, he is certainly capable of playing here, doing a good job. But uh, this secondary, again, I, I think it's a deal where you, I think your first team you're going to be really excited about. And I think this whole front seven from top to bottom is going to be really good, provided you can find a little depth at black linebacker. The secondary, you know, again, first team on first team, I think we're going to be able to compete with anybody. You know, what happens if somebody gets a little bit banged up? And that's where guys like Marcus Banks and Hunter Washington have got to step in. And, again, I, I see Hunter more as a squat corner. Uh, he doesn't have the same length as maybe Forbes and Richardson and Nicholson and even Banks. Uh, he is built a little more like Asias Furge. But uh, these are guys that have been around a little bit, played a little college football. So, uh, I feel good about the group. I think we've recruited really well at corner. And then we'll see how things go. Some of these younger guys like a Davion Collins is uh, not going to do a whole lot this year I suspect we redshirt him uh, but a guy that's got some uh, got some grit to him too uh, special teams uh, you know we're getting there spoke to Eric Mealy yesterday you know and I think everybody on campus feels better about the kicking game and we're not quite there yet you know but uh, you know Massimo Biscardi that's a guy that we expected to get and then Ben Rabin has come in and done a good thing too. And that's, he's a left-footed guy, but um, he's a guy from North Colorado. So we've addressed a glaring need there with a couple of veteran kickers. And, uh, you know, that Saturday, I guess it was, uh, they were both one for two in team drills. And, you know, the misses were close, but they don't count, right? You still don't get any points. You, I mean, you might as well kick in the stands. You know, you don't get any points for that. But um, everything looked more mechanical, if you understand what I'm saying. It's like, the kicking style itself, the approach to the football, and then the carry towards the goalpost. It looks like a field goal attempt. There were times last year we'd kick one, it's like we just pulled somebody out of stands. Um, Archer Trafford doing a pretty good job there, him and George uh, Giropoulos uh, competing there. And, again, I think we're going to be improved in that respect. Archer also going to be the holder on uh, field goals. That's something that Mealy has uh, shared recently. Hayes Hammond, of course, uh, expected to be your deep snapper. Some other guys there as well. And then in the return game, we're kind of figuring all this stuff out. But uh, you know Tulu is going to be on the field. Austin Williams, the sure-handed Austin Williams, probably still going to be uh, your regular punt returner. And then we'll kind of see how things go. But um, that's how things look today. And once a week, we're going to kind of do some of this. And we're going to talk about kind of things we've seen in practice. And, of course, as things develop, you know, we'll update you on that as well. But uh, you can expect on Wednesday to have another update, you know, and I'll, I'll take some notes and kind of point some things out with you. But, again, I feel good uh, after a couple of days of camp, but it's just been two days of camp, right? We didn't get to see yesterday, and we haven't seen them in pads yet. We'll get to see them in pads this afternoon. And so I'm eager to see. There are a lot of people out there that are, uh, you know, you know, T-shirt and shorts All-Americans. And then all of a sudden the pads come on and they kind of disappear. I'm not going to sit here and say that's how it is in the Southeastern Conference, but there is always kind of this dividing line 
once you put the pads on. And so I'm eager to see how some of these guys kind of respond. And again, I'm, I'm going to specifically watch defense today and probably most of Tuesday. And so when we get back together on Wednesday, I'm going to share with you some highlights, some things that we've seen. And I'll tell you, you some of the bandits have actually looked pretty good too. William Hardrick, a guy that uh, State took late, has had a couple of picks in camp. And uh, both of them have been pick sixes. Now, he's down the depth chart a little bit, but that's a guy, too. You know, late in ball games, he may flash. You know, you may be blowing somebody out and putting him in a game, and it's like, why didn't he play more? You know, so he's a guy that's still under development. But uh, I like the look of our team. I think Tyson Brown and those guys have done a good job. The guys that needed to add some weight have. The guys that needed to trim up have. And everybody looks like an SEC athlete. I don't know if that was really the case at times last year. And I'm not going to be critical of anybody. I'm not going to name any names. There were some guys last year when we got into fall camp I don't know if they just didn't work hard or just they just weren't receptive to what the staff was trying to get them done. And, and some of those guys are not here now. But you didn't see maybe this transformation with them physically. And it's amazing when you have these guys that come in and buy in and work hard and do what they're supposed to and they work with the nutrition plan and they work with Tyson Brown. And a lot of these young people too, it's really the first time that they've had like a nutrition plan. I mean, you've lived on chicken nuggets or whatever, you know, and now all of a sudden – You've got people that have a plan to help you build yourself into the best athlete available. You're seeing that this year. I, I Honestly, I think we look to be in better shape than we did last year, up and down the roster. There's some guys, you know, like Austin Williams kind of is what he is, right? I mean, you, you wouldn't expect Austin Williams to, to put on any more mass. And some guys like Dylan Johnson, you really don't want him playing, you know, above 215 or 210. You know, you want those guys to be around, you know, 212 or so. But uh, – I like the look of our football team, and I think you know they're eager to get back on the field. Uh, and we'll learn more as we go. But uh, as far as the first couple of days go, I think we're in pretty good shape. And uh, you know, again, keep knocking on wood out there. We don't need any injuries. You know, we were able to survive camp last year uh, with just the one major injury, but um, it was very significant and really impacted a lot of things we wanted to do on defense. We lost Jordan Davis, so uh, let's hopefully we can stay healthy and and uh, get ready to go. I mean, we've only got. What is it, 22 practices left before we go take on Memphis? And, again, that's a 6.30 kick, September the 3rd, Davis Wade Stadium. If you hadn't bought your tickets, I'm encouraged to go ahead and do that. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know Portico. It's where I would move if I was moving to Starkville now. There's no question about it. I live out here in the sticks. I love it out here. I got about four and a half acres. But there are sometimes I wish I was a little bit closer to campus, especially when you get home after a long day and you're thinking, man, I want to go get something to eat. And, there's nothing out here in the sticks. I'd, I like the convenience of town, but also like the quietness of having the kind of a neighborhood pulled away. That's the beauty of Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, but you're tucked in over there, kind of off West Point, old West Point Road there, in a neighborhood kind of pulled away uh, from the busyness of, of 12. Easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12, take the very first right on the Pat Station Road. They'll take you right to Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did, whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, your primary residence, or your future retirement home. You want to have a place in Starkville. We'd love to have you as our neighbor. Reach out to my friend, your friend, Mississippi State friend, Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog. His phone number, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Meg Portico, your next move. All right, let's take some time to look at the University of Georgia and some of the time that we have left here. 
Uh, State's come play them this year. Lucky us, you know, the defending national champions. But I tell you that you know they they're recruiting at such a high level. It's almost like they're the Alabama of the East, you know. And so they rotate on and off. And we had to play them, and we picked them up in 2020, which wasn't great. But we still went down there and should have won the ball game, right? I think we're going to have a lot of confidence playing these guys, regardless of their recruiting rankings and regardless of last year's. Um, you know, success. It's not to say that I expect to win the game. I don't think we're going to be intimidated by Georgia. Now, Stetson Bennett, I think he's on the Casey Clawson Memorial Scholarship. How does this guy still have eligibility left? It's crazy to think about this. But uh, I give Stetson Bennett a lot of credit, man. They have done everything they can to provide competition at that, at that position, and he just keeps winning the job. I mean, they bring in JT Daniels, the number one a transfer in the portal back in 2020, and now he's gone. They keep going out and recruiting these kids. And Stetson Bennett, the former Jones County Junior College quarterback, just keeps holding them off. It's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And then what does he do? He goes and wins an NFL championship. Stetson Bennett, not the greatest passer. He's not. And he's not just a caretaker of the offense. Either he can make some plays with his feet which I think makes him even more dangerous because Georgia is so good at offensive skill, you don't always account for the quarterback run. And Stetson Bennett, it's not a guy maybe you do a lot of design quarterback runs for, but when things break down, he can tuck it and go. He's tough. He's got some grit about him. In many respects, he reminds me a little bit of Will Rogers. Now, I think Stetson probably could beat Will in a foot race, but I think Stetson Bennett is a winner. He has some real mental toughness. And so it's tough to bet against a guy like that. Now, there have been some games, too, where the defense had to kind of bail him out at times last year. Let's take a look at that schedule because remember how historic that defense was last year. Absolutely crazy how good that defense was last year, which made that SEC championship game so surprising. That's the thing that I go back in hindsight. I'm thinking, you know what, I picked Georgia to win that game. And a lot of people are like, oh, you can't count out Saban. And they were right. You can't. And so let's go back and look uh, at last year's numbers and what a great year it was for Georgia. So they win that first game. I really thought they would lose the first game in Charlotte to Clemson and then win the rest of the regular season. That's what I expected. That's what I picked last year. And they win 10-3, to have a pick six, the only touchdown in the game, to beat Clemson. And then you start thinking, okay, Georgia is for real. It was an ugly game. Their defense won it for them which was kind of the story much of the year, but not really in the non-conference. But defensively, you found out pretty early on, even though this wasn't a great Clemson team, that Georgia was for real. The next week, they blast UAB 56-7. They get South Carolina to come to uh, Sanford, Sanford Stadium, beat those guys 40-13. to They blast Vandy 62-0 in Nashville. That game could have been 100 nothing if they wanted it to be. Arkansas, the big uh, matchup that just didn't match up to the hype. Georgia wins 37-0, and again, that's Kirby Smart being kind to Sam Pittman because they could have put up 70 easily. They go to Jordan-Hare the next week. They beat Auburn 34-10. They get Kentucky 30-13 there in Georgia. They get the week off after that, and they go to the biggest cocktail party, the biggest overhyped cocktail party in the world, and they beat Florida 34-7. And at that point, you knew Florida season was done, and Georgia had probably cleared their final hurdle en route to an SEC championship. Nick Saban had a little something to say about that. But you knew the East was basically won at that point. 
They get Mizzou 43-6. They struggle a little bit early on against Tennessee and then absolutely obliterate them in the second half to win 41-17. Charleston Southern, they probably could have put the scout team quarterback in and won that game 56-7. They go to Atlanta and they route Georgia Tech 45-0. And so when you start looking at these numbers in a regular season, you know, they only had four games, excuse me, five games. That they No, what's four games? Four games they gave up double-digit in scoring. And nobody in a regular season scored more than 17. The team that did was Tennessee. And they lost by 24. You have a shutout against Georgia Tech. You have six points against Missouri. Shutout against Arkansas. Shutout against Vanderbilt. Seven points against UAB. Ten points against Clemson. The scoring defense, absolutely ridiculous, which made that SEC championship game so incredibly surprising. 41 points from Alabama. They absolutely attacked Georgia and punched them in the mouth, and then they learned from it. Georgia then takes on Michigan in uh, the Orange Bowl, which is part of the FBS playoff, and they win that game 34-11. to Anthony, let's be honest with ourselves. As good as Michigan was, athletically, they just couldn't match up with Georgia, especially with that Georgia defense. And then they win an AFL championship, 33-18. And what an exciting game that was. And it was good for the game of college football. It wasn't just about, hey, let's beat Alabama. I mean, it, it had gotten kind of boring. You needed some new blood. And, of course, Georgia hadn't won since the early 80s. And Vince Dooley was the coach and Herschel Walker was the player. But it's good for the game of football. It's good for college football. Let's take a quick look at what they got coming back. And so we talked a little bit about, um, you know, Stetson Bennett. And, uh, and who can't be excited about that, you know, for that kid? I mean, you know, honestly, it's a great story. And so, you know, Georgia, of course, always, 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 always going to have big-time running backs. Just kind of how it is. Kind of it's going to be. And so they lose a couple big dogs. You know, Jameer White was phenomenal last year for them. But, uh, you know, Kendall Milton is a guy that's going to be a real, cha- a real challenge for a team. And um, Branson Robinson from George Germantown, excuse me, a guy that Mississippi State was on very, very early. We felt like if he stayed in state, we had him. The next thing you know, his recruitment blows up. He ends up being one of the top running backs in the country. Expect to see him play a lot. So, Georgia has had to hit the recruiting uh, button pretty hard on, on wide receivers. That shouldn't be an issue at all. We, we expect those guys to be good. Of course, Jermaine Burden uh, went to Alabama. And, of course, Justin Robinson went to Mississippi State. Uh but Adonai Mitchell is a guy they expect to be, you know, a, a really, really big target for them. And then former LSU tight end, Arik Gilbert, we expect him uh, to be a difference maker for them as well. Offensive line, I mean, you know, Sam Pittman did a great job kind of loading the cupboard up there. They're going to be great. They just are. I mean, you, you kind of expect that. They return most of the starters in the offensive line. But what about his defense? Um you know, it's interesting, you know, Kirby Smart maybe doesn't get enough respect as a coach. We talk about what a great recruiter he is, and, of course, he has a defensive pedigree, but, you know, this was one of those things last year that was really more about Kirby putting his fingerprints on this team. The front four is going to be absolutely great. Uh, Jalen Carter, a guy that's probably a future first-rounder, is going to be back kind of leading the charge there. The linebackers, they lose a ton there, obviously. Uh, but Nolan Smith decides to come back. Robert Bill comes back. Of course, Nicobe Dean is gone now in the National Football League. Uh, but, you know, this, this is a group. When I think about Georgia on defense, I always think about linebackers. It seems whether it be Boss Bailey or whoever, they always seem to have somebody out there that is so ultra-athletic, looks like they're playing 
looks like an NFL player played in college. Now, Georgia secondary, this could be one of those deals, too, where you kind of wait and see because there's some jobs that are kind of up for grabs with this group. Uh, but Georgia is going to be ultra-athletic. I don't think anybody would be surprised to know that. I mean, when you think about their recruiting footprint, they're always going to be able to find great defensive backs and skill people. They should, right? I mean, Athens is not too far away from Atlanta. A lot of those people want to get out of the city and go play big-time football. And I think Georgia, in many respects, you know, has arrived, and I think they have some staying power. And I think with all the turmoil, you know, you know Florida, another coaching change, Tennessee, you know, about to face NCAA sanctions. You know, I think Georgia really doesn't have a natural predator in the East. I know there are some teams that want to challenge them. And, like, you, if you read all the talking heads and all the nonsense out of media days, oh, well, South Carolina's going to get them. Kentucky's going to get them. Let me just tell you this. If anybody gets Georgia in the East this year, it's going to be a surprise. It just is. You know, and Tennessee maybe had a shot last year. <laughs> um, they just couldn't stop them. You know, Tennessee had some offensive skill. They just couldn't stop them. So Georgia is going to open in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, and it'll be rocking. They'll get Oregon in there, and they'll, they'll beat those guys. Then they get Sanford, and they're going to beat those guys. They go to Williams-Brice Stadium. They're going to beat those dudes too. Kent State, and then at Mizzou. So you're 5-0 and right out of the gate. The Oregon game will get some hype. I just don't think Oregon can run with Georgia. I just don't. And Georgia likes to run you out and then beat you to death with those big running backs. And over the course of a game, it becomes a war of attrition that Georgia's going to win. So they should open 5-0, and and then they, they welcome Auburn, which the Auburn-Georgia series is one of my favorites. As an SEC football fan, I like that series always have. The game generally means something. Now, Auburn hasn't been as good as of late. But I like it, and I hope that it is a good game. I don't suspect it will be, though. The next week, Vandy visits Athens, Georgia, and then they get a week off. So they should be 7-0 and going into the bye, and then they play Florida in Jacksonville. That'll be interesting. You know, Billy Napier, of course, kind of putting his, uh, you know, his thumbprints on things there in Gainesville. I just don't think they're going to be ready for prime time. I do think Florida is going to be better, as we talked about on Friday's show. I just don't think from a recruiting standpoint they're on the same level as Georgia. They want to be. They're not. Then Tennessee comes in to Athens, and that'll be interesting too. You know, I think Tennessee will have the offensive skill to at least make this game competitive. But again, defensively, the volunteers have what you need to keep Georgia off the scoreboard. That's what the thing is going to boil down to. If Tennessee can play a little defense, this game can be competitive. And then they travel to Mississippi State. I kind of like where we're positioned. I don't have any delusions about Mississippi State winning this game. I know a lot of our people say, hey, we're going to beat Georgia. I would love to beat Georgia. I just don't think that we match up from a talent differential standpoint. I do think that we're a better team than we were in 2020. And I don't know that Georgia is. And so I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility. But I am not expecting State to win this game. But that said, I kind of like that we're – kind of a trap game right here they play Tennessee which is a team that is capable of competing with them then they got to come on the road to play us the next week they go to Kentucky who a lot of people are projecting to be the number two team in the east and so state is an improved team 
and we're kind of laying in the reeds right there. And so I could see us, you know, being competitive in this ball game. And that's where you come in too. The fact that we get the defending national champs in Davis Wade Stadium, there should not be an empty seat anywhere in that stadium. Everybody should be there. Cowbells in hand. It's November football. Shouldn't be too cold. We don't know what time that game is going to be played, but we need you there. And then they play Kentucky. And then they get Georgia Tech. And so if I had to call it today, I think Georgia's undefeated. I do. And he'd say, well, Steve, that's not really a hot take. Nor did I want to provide you one. But I, I think, again, I think that stretch in early November will probably be the most challenging for Georgia. Tennessee, and then on the road at State in a trap game, and then at Kentucky. If they survive those three, there's nothing to slow them down from going back to Atlanta. I think we all know this. I mean, Jeff Collins and those guys on the hot seat at Georgia Tech, that game's in Sanford. And by that time, too, you know, Georgia will have already clenched the East, I believe. And so that's just – they can focus fully on the rivalry. But I don't think there's anything in this first, uh, you know, seven ball games to really slow them down. I, I, I just you – know, the Oregon game, of course, is uh, probably the most difficult one. But I just think from an athleticism standpoint, Georgia's just so superior. And they've got plenty of time to prepare. And then, you know, the month of September, it's just – you know, there's just nothing there. There's just nothing there. And then, you know, maybe Auburn in October could make it competitive. You get to Florida. You know, that, that game will have a lot of hype. Of course, it'll be on CBS as always. But, you know, this Georgia team, you know, provided they stay healthy, there's a really good chance you're back in a playoff. You know, if they drop a game they shouldn't, then things change. But contrary to belief of some other people, I don't think there is enough parity in the East this year to slow Georgia down. I just don't. I, I, now, if you're Kentucky, you're thinking, hey, we get them at our place, this is our best chance. And that's probably true. I just don't think when, when you begin to line up and think about you know, Kentucky being able to slow Georgia down, I just don't think they can. I think Georgia's a team that will want to come out there and establish the run and then kind of do the play action pass stuff off of And, and listen, I know Will Levis is getting a lot of draft hype. That Georgia defense will absolutely get after you absolutely get after you and again could prove to be probably the most difficult game on their schedule on the road this year could be I mean give Kentucky a little bit of credit but I just think when you look at this this Georgia schedule I mean you know this is what it means to be in the east right they don't get Alabama they don't get LSU they don't get Texas A&M you know and so it's like you look at this and it's like what a, what a great setup for a schedule for a repeat NFL champion. I mean, you play your regular opponents, and then you get the, the teams that are projected to be sixth and seventh in the West. It's good work if you can get it. Right, Kirby? All right, let's move ahead now, and let's talk a little bit about recruiting in the final moments that we have together. So, you know, we had uh, – you know, we picked up, you know, the commitment of Justin Brown on Friday. No big surprise there. And I give Paul Jones some credit. Paul kind of called that one early on. Uh, Paul's had a lot of interaction with the guy and uh, just kind of felt like this was kind of the way he wanted to go, wanted to play in the air raid. Uh, we've done a lot of you know, recaps on him, and uh, I like his game. And I'll tell you, I give uh, our guy Dog Season 12, I give him a lot of credit. He is our kind of our wide receiver fanatic on the Gene's Page message boards. And when I was watching Justin Brown's film a little more intently, he had made a comment about 
the guy reminds him a little bit of Van Jefferson. Of course, he played at Ole Miss and ultimately at uh, Florida and then got drafted. I think that is really close to the mark. When you look at his game and look at his build and look at how good he is getting out of his breaks, he looks a lot like Van. I, I don't think he's as polished as Van. I mean, of course, Van, you know, the son of an NFL guy, you know, of course, so he's going to have, uh, you know, a little better pedigree. But I think Justin Brown is a similar type player. Can he be as productive? You know, that, that kind of remains to be seen. But I do think that is a very good player comp. Now, so what's next for State? Well, I think it could be a big week. I think it could be a big week. So based on – here's what I would expect to happen. I think you're going to see Chris Parson make a tweet sometime in the next couple of days to say that he's going to announce his decision. So, okay, I've made my decision. I'm going to announce it on this day. And I think there's a good chance it happens this week. And I believe that decision is Mississippi State. Now, things have been trending our way shortly after we offered. You know, State offered – and then everybody's like, well, why are we offering a Florida State commitment? I don't understand this. What, what, you know, as, as stingy as Leach is and as selective as he is with quarterback offers, why is he throwing an offer at a guy that's committed to Florida State? Well, then we began to learn that the relationship between Mike Norvell and his staff and Chris Parson had deteriorated. And we've, that's well documented, right? And so since that time, things have really been trending more the Mississippi State way. Chris and his dad and his brother come in June, and then all of a sudden his entire family comes, and grandparents come, they get a chance to see the behind-the-scenes tour. And so the season's getting ready to start, and based on what I am hearing, you know, Chris doesn't want this to linger into the season. And when he made his decision and committed to Florida State, he did so in good faith and thought, hey, this is it. He never expected to be in this position, but now he is. And so Chris has some family ties here. His dad graduated from Mississippi State, a uh, Pascagoula native, you know, and so got a lot of family here, got a lot of people that can share in the experience with him. Uh, so we're excited. And I think Chris is a dynamic playmaker that will really kind of bring some innovation to this offense. But I expect, and I said this last week, I said a week to 10 days. I, I think we're within a week now. I think it could happen this week. Does it happen this weekend? I, I don't know. But I, I suspect what you're going to see happen is Chris will announce, I have made my decision, I'm going to announce it on this day. And then I think you can get really excited. I will be shocked if it's not Mississippi State. Now, one of the things, too, it's like you never just lock it up and say, hey, it's a done deal. You know, funny things happen in recruiting, especially with the NIL, the way it is these days. Not to say that Chris is that kind of guy, but my point being is that there's always late suitors. But what we have seen, you know, A&M has kind of lurked about a little bit, but they haven't really gone all in on him. You know, Virginia Tech tried to get in on him a little bit, and uh, they already have a quarterback committed, you know, so it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to go from leave Florida State because you didn't want to be part of a two-quarterback class and then go join another one in the same conference. It just makes no sense. But, you know, the tea leaves read maroon. And I think Chris Parson, of course, then opens the door for Mississippi State to get some more offensive skill. Of course, you've already got three wide receivers committed do you take five? You know, because again, you know, Steve Spurrier and I talked about that beginning of the year, and he goes, "Man, I go out every year looking to sign four because now with this portal, you just never know what's going to happen. So even if you only have room for a couple, you still go out there. Like last year, State was expected to only sign a couple of receivers, and then you end up, you know, taking a handful again because there's always some outgoing portal traffic. And so you can't just go out there and say, "Oh, we we got to get two and then kind of stand pat." You got to keep recruiting, and so. Mississippi State is not going to turn away great players either. 
It's not going to do it. You know, we'll make adjustments. We're not going to turn away great players. And uh, it's Mike Leach's job to win, and it's Mike Leach's job to go out there and make some things happen. And I think getting Chris Parson kind of shows that maybe there's, there is some wrinkles to come in the air raid. We're not going to be a balanced offense. We're not going to have a dual-threat quarterback. But we are looking maybe to get a little more athletic guy that can make some things happen, you know, with his feet, make defenses pay, which in turn makes linebackers be a little more honest in their execution. You can't everybody just bail out and then um, you kind of hope for the best. You, you've got to keep people in a decision-making process, and I think Chris Parson does that. So I suspect by Wednesday we'll have an idea when Chris is going to announce, and then I think by the end of the week we'll probably know that uh, he's a bulldog. That's what I believe today. Now, it may change, and if things do change, I will update you. But uh, I feel like this could be a very important week for Mississippi State, not just for this class, uh, but for the foreseeable future of Mississippi State football. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com, and you can get signed copies of Dogpile. I signed about 100 books last week. Signed those books, and uh, Dogpile, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs, if you're looking for signed copies, they have those. As a matter of fact, they found some older copies of Flim Flam, uh, one of the earlier printings. They found that, uh, and so I signed those. So you might get one of those. So if you haven't updated your collection, I encourage you to do so. And, of course, uh, you can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, and get Blooms of Oleander, or get it through your local bookstore if you'd like to shop local. I always encourage that whenever possible. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and a lot of people have been as of late, go to StarkVillains.com. Uh, put some new graphics out there. Next thing I know, everybody's like, hey, I want to get this shirt. And uh, I'm glad you do. It's a really cool-looking shirt. And if you live in the greater Starkville area and you got kids in school, you can get the black and white version, the maroon and white version. You can get the black and gold version, the orange and blue one. And that's, of course, for Starkville High School and Starkville Academy. Uh, we want to be a full-service shop. And uh, I'm very appreciative of the folks who put all this together for me. Uh, happy to partner with them. So, again, go to StarkVillains.com. That's it for today. We'll be back on Wednesday to some more practice reports and uh, some more, hopefully, good news about Mississippi State football as we kind of move forward. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.